Well, first, let me apologize. Uh, we did run long in the first service, as you can tell, and that will, I will not be making a habit of that. I know you probably heard that, and maybe even from me, but uh, we won't make a habit of it, I promise. So I wanted to apologize, but the Lord just really put some stuff on my heart this morning. I told the 9 o'clock service that I really feel like I needed to share, and I said, we probably will go a few minutes longer. I let them know, but I said, I feel like it was important enough that I needed to share it and get it out there. And so I believe you guys at the 11 o'clock service need to hear the same message this morning. Amen? And so I may go just a few minutes longer, but I'll promise I'll try not to. I will try to not get as excited as I did in the first service. Um, but that's up to you guys. I got to tell you, the 9 o'clock service, man, they're, they're buying into the new norm. And they're reacting and interacting with me. And they were saying, preach it and amen and hallelujah. And they were standing up. And I mean, I, I was getting excited. And so, yeah, amen. And so uh, if you want to get that same message, then I want to encourage you to jump in and, and get that new norm. And so uh, if you're new to Word of Life and you say, well, I don't know what he's talking about, I'll, just to let you know real quick is we invite you to worship with us, engage with us. During praise and worship, we don't ask you just to sit and watch. We call that a concert. Um, if you're going to come to a concert, then we ask you to give Darren 25 bucks when the service is over. Amen? Otherwise, we ask you to engage with us. And we ask you to engage with us during uh, the preaching and the teaching of, of God's Word. And we define engaging with us and interacting with us by simply just saying, Amen. Amen. Preach it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise you got man. My staff just failed. Yeah, there you go. Remember? We'll try to get everybody to sit down. Preach it. Preach it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's the process that we're working on. This is the new norm. You don't have to do it, but that's okay. We'll continue to do it. Amen? Because we're talking about we're a, a charismatic church in this series, but we believe that we can be charismatic and not weird. And that God gave us emotions to not only use at a football game or a baseball game, but in God's house. And I talked to you about there are different things that take place and during a football game is that you, know, you don't just stand up and cheer just for when your favorite team scores a touchdown. You will stand up and well, you, know, you might not stand up, you'll clap, you will cheer if there's an interception, if there's a fumble and a recovery, if there's a sack, if there's you know, an onside kick recover, if you're a baseball fan, if, if it's like when the Royals hit a home run, Somebody steals a base. Are you guys with me? Somebody throws somebody out from left field. How many know there are different times during the game that you get excited and show your emotions, not just one time? And I said that church should be the same way. When we're preaching and teaching, there should be different things that comes out to you. And when we score a touchdown and when we get an interception, when we hit a home run, when we catch a sacrifice fly, when all these things take place, it's an opportunity for you to say, Amen. Preach it. Preach it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
I pay them. They have to do that. So I believe it'll take a while for you guys to, to get it, but I believe over a series of weeks and months, and you'll get it, but you'll say, do we have to do this? No, you don't have to do it. But I think, man, if we're going to be excited about natural things, then we should be just as excited and use those same emotions that God give us in the house of God. Amen? There's nothing wrong. I get just excited. I was celebrating last night when I heard that the Royals won. Amen? And so I was just excited. And so I feel like, you know, if I can be excited about that, then surely I can be excited about the house of God. So I encourage you to just simply engage with us. I know it may be a little bit different, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Amen? We're charismatic. We've got to be who we are. So we're going to continue our series on Ghostbusters this morning. I was hoping to finish up by the end of October, but it just hasn't worked out that way. And so we're going to go a couple more weeks because I believe there are a couple topics that we really need to cover in this church. And so the Lord has really laid upon my heart that we can't finish until we cover these topics. And so we're going to cover one of these topics today, and we're going to try to do the best that we can. And I'll tell you this. Uh, the, if you guys interact with me, the better that I go, the better it is, and the quicker we get out of here. But if it's like a graveyard in here, you know, everybody's quiet, just staring at me, we may be here until about 1, which that's bad because IHOP will be f- full of the denominations by then, okay? So if you guys want to get out here to IHOP, because bad news is Sarah and I drove by Luby's the other day and they've closed it down. For some of you who didn't know, Luby's over there in Riverside is closed down. It's a sad day. Anybody ever go to Luby's over there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Got to love some Luby's. So we're going to be talking about specifically today, That's, if you will, maybe a somewhat controversial topic in, in churches today. And I really just feel like this is something the Lord has allowed us to do. And, and I realize why is because as I was studying, preparing for this, I realized that a couple things. One is that, I may have said this last week, I'm not for sure what service I said it, so I'll say it again, is that since the carnival, uh, we've had well over 100 people join the church. Praise the Lord. Yes, that's a good thing to be excited about. See, you're getting it. You guys are getting it. Man, you might, you might be quicker than the first service. Um, and here's the thing is that a lot of those new people don't know what we believe in, and everything like that. And so the Lord's really in my heart is that we really need to be clear, and we can't assume that people know what we know. And so people, we can't just assume that everybody is, knows about this talk about this topic of, of speaking in tongues. Because when we did our survey a few weeks ago, we saw that there was a lot of people that had started coming to our church that came from a diff, different type of background than a charismatic or a Pentecostal background. And so I feel like we should take the time to really go through and, and really show you what God's Word says about this subject. How many know it's not as important as we look as what I think or what somebody else thinks, but really what matters is what God says. There's a difference in my opinion and God's Word. And notice what I said there. What I think what somebody else might think, and what God said. How many know there's a big difference in thinking and saying? And see, we a lot of times want to share man's opinions or traditions, but really what we should be doing is focusing on what God said. And so for me, I realized as I was studying for this message last night, 
a couple of things, and I'll just be honest with you, is that I realized that, is that I had to repent before the Lord. Is that I had seen so many crazy, dumb, stupid things take place in a charismatic Pentecostal church that I began to pull in and begin to rein in what would take place in our services because I was more afraid of what could take place than I was afraid of what would take place in people's lives. I'm going to say that last part again because I believe it's important. I said I was more afraid of what could take place by meaning somebody acting a fool than allowing the Holy Spirit access to what God really wanted to do in our services. I was more concerned with the could than the would. And I realized that as the pastor, I'm in charge of the could, and God's in charge of the would. You might start acting funky. My job as a pastor is to say, you need to reel that in a little bit. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference, and there should be an order in God's house. Because according to Scripture, these are, there are things that take place, and God's a God of order, and He doesn't want us to be a bunch of idiots. But I realized that I had backed off so much that I wasn't allowing access to the Holy Spirit. And look at what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We have it on the screen for you. It says this. It says, do not quench, subdue, or be unresponsive to the working and guidance of the Holy Spirit. How many know that is a clear and direct word from God? And I realized as the pastor that I have done a poor job of teaching about this specific gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and about the gifts of the Spirit, but also I had done a poor job in leading this church in that area. Because of my bad experiences with this, I have gone to one extreme. And how many know in life there are two ditches on the highway of life? You go this way, north, south, but on this side of the road there's a ditch. And if you're not careful, you'll get off of the highway and you'll get on to this side of the ditch. But if you're not careful, you'll swerve over will too far and then you'll go on to this side of the ditch. And how many know you don't want to be on the ditch on either side? You want to stay right down the middle on the highway, which is God's word. And I realized for me as the leader and the pastor of this church, I had gone because of what I experienced. I was taking this church to too far of the ditch. And last night as I was up here praying and prepping and studying, the Holy Spirit just really began to convict me about that. And notice I want you to say, convict me. I didn't say that God was condemning me because that's not what God does. But how many know the Bible says that he will surely discipline those he loves? Just as you as your parents will discipline your children because you love them, so our Heavenly Father loves us and will discipline us. He's not up there going to hit us with a hammer over their head every time that we mess up, but he will discipline us. Amen? And so I realized that I had been made some mistakes. But how many know, just like you guys, we all make mistakes? And the, the best thing about mistakes is that when you recognize it, 
is to repent and quickly change. That's what repent means, literally, to make a change. And so I realized last night as I was studying, I said, I have to make a change. I've led our church too far this way because I was afraid of, of what I've seen. And so the Lord began to sp- speak to me about this. And after I repented, I just, the Lord just kept speaking to my heart and kept speaking to my heart about the power of the Holy Spirit and how we need to give him full access not only to our lives, which I've been talking to you about over the last few weeks. I've been saying that one a lot. We need to give the Holy Spirit access to our lives. But what I realize is that I haven't allowed the Holy Spirit full access to our services because out of fear, because of what I experienced. And the thing about it is God began to deal with me about that. And he said, here's the deal. I didn't hear an audible voice. For some of you are new to, to Christianity, it's not like, I hope you don't, I'm going to sit up in my office and God just speaking to me like that because it's an inward knowing is what it is. I wish that could happen. That would be awesome. Amen. We'd win the lottery and we'd all pay off everything. It'd be great. I'd hear those numbers. So now we know God doesn't do that. So I was up there praying and God began to deal with me. And he, he said, basically, this I'll just share. He said, by not giving the Holy Spirit full access, you're limiting people. And how many of you ever had a full access pass to a concert or to a football game before? There is nothing like full access. I've been there where they give the card to you and you can do anything that you want to do. You can go anywhere you want to go and you can experience anything that you want to experience. Why everybody else, they just have a regular ticket and they can't do and experience all that you can experience with a full access pass. And I realize that when Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit, he gave him full access to our lives and to our church, but it's up to us whether we allow him to enter in. I'll put it this way. There's basically, we can sit at the door with our full access pass, and we'll have a security man there. The Holy Spirit can come up, and he can show his pass and say, hey, I'm allowed into this service, and we can say, no, you're not. Even though he has access, I want you to know something. The Holy Spirit is not like you and I. He's a gentleman. Where you and I, if that pass had been given to us, and we had access, and we wanted to go through there, and they wouldn't let us, how many know they'd probably be carrying me out with the police because I want my free food? Because that's usually what free access means to the games that I've been to. There's, there's free food somewhere along the line. But how many know when the Holy Spirit comes into a service like this, and he says, I, I have a full access pass given by the Father to be able to come in here. How many know it's people like me and other pastors across the world that we decide how much access we allow him to come in? And I have made the mistake of not allowing him full access. And I realize you say, well, that may not be a big deal, but let me begin to tell you why that's a big deal. The Bible says that in Genesis, before all this came to be, that the Spirit of God hovered over everything. I want you to know the Spirit of God was in the beginning from the creation all the way through. And then God said, how do you think Jesus was born 
He said, I came upon a virgin with, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we call it immaculate conception, and then she was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, when, I, when Jesus Christ was crucified and was put into that grave, he said, what was it that raised him up on the third day? He said, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, this power is the most, the most incredible power on the face of the earth, and yet we're not allowing him access to people's lives. And that's when I said, forgive me. Forgive me, Father. Because what I basically was telling God is that, God, you stay over here, and I got this. I'll do it on my own strength, my own ability, and my own power. I don't know about you guys, but when you try to do something in your own strength, power, and ability, you get worn out pretty quick. But when you will do something in the power that Acts says, he says he'll give us a power and an ability to do what he's called you to do, then how many know it is a lot less difficult for you? And so what is really happening is not only am I limiting what God wants to do in people's lives, but I've been carrying the load because I've been trying to do it all on myself. And God says, hey, knucklehead, you were never meant to do pastoring. You were never meant to parent. You were never meant to be a good spouse. You were never meant to do any of those things on your own. You were meant to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's up to you to allow him access into those areas of your lives. And so I don't know about you, but I said, man, I, I, I can make a change. And I made a change last night. And so I took my sermon and I dumped it. And I started all over, and here's the good news and the bad news, is that when I was done, I had about 3,500 words to share. But here's the good news. Those were no longer my opinions. I was going to start sharing with you God's Word in a more in-depth way. Because how many know we talked about it a minute ago? There's a difference in the way I think and then what God said. My thinking was a little bit off, and God had to bring some correction. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And so what that says to me is I got some things that I need to get in line to what God's word says. And God's word says, don't quench the spirit. But he also says in Corinthians, you keep it in order. So we have to find a balance. In particular, I should say, me had to find a balance of allowing the Holy Spirit full access in our lives without getting weird. Because just because we're charismatic and we can use our emotions and we can do things, it doesn't mean that we have to be weird. Pastor Ketcher, which is weird to say for me, but, you know, I don't use his first name because his first name is Chad, and I told him he hasn't earned the right to use Chad yet because that's my name. So I want you guys to call him Pastor Ketcher or Ketcher for a while until we feel like that he's earned the name of Chad, okay? I feel like I've been here a while and I've been through a lot of crap, and so, therefore, I can be called Chad. Today, well, actually, not even today. He starts tomorrow. He doesn't deserve Chad. I've been on this earth for 40 years. He's only been on here like 30-something. So he preached a few weeks ago, 
And he told us about God would bring conviction onto us. He led to other things that God would do. And he talked about the roles of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing he ended up was, was Galatians 5. And it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And how many know as Christians that there should be fruit in our lives? There should be love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Amen? Amen? And this last one that we all love, self-control. How many know we could all use probably some self-control in a lot of areas of our lives? But I believe that we can operate in self-control inside these four walls as well. When you want to start acting like a fool, you can say, I, can, I, I don't have to act like a fool. I can operate in self-control. Because notice what God's Word said in Galatians. He said that we shall produce fruit. He didn't say that we have to act fruity or weird. But I don't know about you, but I grew up in churches when the Spirit of God was moving, it became fruity. And I've seen a lot of weird stuff, and it made me go inside a little bit. I thought, I don't want to do that. But then God said, no, you can have the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your services without being weird. And he said, it's up to you to control it, but it's up to you to allow it to move as well. And so that's what we're benefiting and we're going to allow it to do. And that's why we've been saying the new norm here at Word of Life. And you've been hearing that and you'll continue to hear that for a little bit. And so today I'm going to tackle, try to tackle a subject that has been controversial, but I believe that is so important for every believer. And that is simply the question that we want, the myth that we want to bust this morning is that the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is not for today. People have been talking about this before you and I were ever born. This has been a topic in church since Jesus Christ came, died, and left. And that's why we have Baptists. That's why we have Lutherans. That's why we have this. That's why we have this. And that's why you have us, the Pentecostals, they call it. Where does the term Pentecostal come from? Simply the book of Acts. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given. And after that, the Bible says they had the evidence of speaking in tongues. So therefore, some along, along the way, they have deemed us as Pentecostals or Charismatics because we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit, the same that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, is the same that it is today. That when you receive the Holy Spirit... You, it's the same way that you receive it back then is the same way that you receive it today. The Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you have this wonderful free gift. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. There is a theory out there. It's called dispensationalism, and dispensationalism, people will tell you that speaking in tongues is not needed for today, and it's not for today. The only problem with that theory is that it's just that. It's, a man, it's man's opinion. You can never find anywhere in God's word where he come out and he said, this was just for a season or a particular group of people, and then it's going to go away. The scripture that they will use that says when the things come and will perfect, we'll need it no more. And they say that, oh, when Jesus came, everything was perfect, and therefore we don't need tongues anymore. Well, my question is, then do we need wisdom either? Amen. If we're just going to give away tongues, let's just give away wisdom and other things that came along with it. How many know 
just because Jesus come, that didn't end things. We still need it. Now, there will be a day come when the rapture takes place and, we are come, and Jesus comes back to get us. How many know that is the time of perfection that we won't need tongues, interpretation, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. But until then, in this world, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. The problem with keeping the man's traditions is this. We just had a powerful time of worship, and I want you to put up there Mark chapter 7, and I want you to see what God says about worship. And this is really, this really just blew my mind, because we think about this and it says, you know, we don't want to worship God because, you know, we know what we did during the week. How many know that's one of the major things that keeps us from worshiping God on Sunday? We know ourselves. And unfortunately, we, that's the problem is that you know yourself and you don't know who you are in Christ. Because if you're a born-again believer, the sins are under the blood because we just took the communion to remind ourselves that we are forgiven. So we can come in here, but usually these are the things that keep us from worshiping God. But God has a different definition of what vain worship is. And look at what, to God, it, what he says about worship. They worship me in vain. Their worship is meaningless and worthless, not because of all the sin and all the things they've done, the lying, the gossiping, the sex, the drugs, the drugs, all these things that we think of. God says, no, that's not what it is. That's not meaningless worship. He says it's actually people who keep traditions with equal with the weight of scriptures. That, to God, is meaningless worship. Look at the next verse says. You disregard and neglect the commandment of God. What is the commandment of God? God's word. These are God's commandments right here. And God was great enough to put them in a book called the Bible for us. And so what we'll do is we will neglect that and we will cling. Look what he says. Faithfully to the tradition that have been passed down from men. So you've been taught from another man these traditions that maybe this gift is not for you. It's not for today. But I want you to know something. Look what the next verse says. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside and nullifying the commandments of God in order to keep your man-made traditions and regulations. We have done a great job of telling people, here's what I think about this subject in the Bible. Here's what I think about this subject in the Bible. Here's what I think about this subject in the Bible. Instead of saying, here's what God says about this subject in the Bible, I don't care what he thinks, what she thinks, what they think. I care what God said. And here's the thing. Go ahead and put that next verse up in Mark. Here's what happens when you and I keep the traditions that have been passed down from men to us about things you will nullify the authority the word of god acting as if it did not apply because of the tradition which you have handed down according to the word of god we can actually nullify the power of god in our lives and in this church because we would rather keep traditions that have been passed down from another man to another man to another man to another man and to another man instead of saying, what does God say about this subject? So I'm going to ask you this morning, 
Because when we did the poll a few months ago, weeks ago, whatever it was, there were a lot of people that said, man, I didn't grow up in a charismatic Pentecostal church in here. I grew up in blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. So you've been taught some traditions that have been passed down. I'm going to ask you this morning specifically to keep your heart open. And if I can show you God's word on this subject, to accept it and not nullify it. Because, see, that's what tradition does from men. It nullifies the power of God. People have told us we don't need tongues for today. Tongues are not for today. They're not that important. Well, we're going to look at what God's Word says. Apparently, God thought it was important because, remember, Acts 1-4, let's put that up. Hopefully, I get it right this time. He says this, in one of these meetings, he told them not to leave Jerusalem. Okay? So today, and for a long time, we're going to take out the word Jerusalem, and we're going to insert the word Word of Life because that's what he says. That was where they grew up, that was their Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem is sand springs and word of life. So really, you could be say this. This is what God would say to you today. He told them not to leave word of life until the Holy Spirit came upon them in fulfillment of the Father's promise, a matter he had previously discussed with them. I share that scripture with you because I want you to think about this. If Jesus himself said, dare, don't you dare leave until you receive the promise that I'm giving you. Don't, you. don't do it. Don't do it. He was saying to them, don't you dare leave. And I believe we've been in churches doing the exact opposite. Instead of telling people the importance of saying, hey, you need this gift. Don't you dare leave church this morning without it. And it's not a fear as in like, oh, if I don't have it, like God's going to be mad at me. It's more of a, a, the fear when God talks about God type of fear. It's a sense of awe or a sense of amazement. God's not like, oh, if you're leaving, what could happen to me? I'm not going to feel the Holy Spirit. I may have a wreck and my target go there and my washer and dryer may go out because the devil's on all those things. I'm like, oh, no, that's a bunch of fooey. Yeah, I said fooey because my mom usually listens to the 11 a.m. service. The 9 a.m. I said crap because she don't listen to that one. And so he says, he says, don't you dare leave. And this is where it got me last night. And this is where I took all my notes and I threw them away. And I stayed up and I rewrote my whole message. Because I realized my message was more about was more about what I had to, to say and the and what I was doing than more about than what God had to say about this subject. And I realized that when God said, Don't you dare leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there must have been a reason that He told them that. And I began to pray, and I said, God, I said, man. Why did you command them? Don't you dare leave until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. And then how many know God is good enough to answer us? And God answered us, not only me, but he answered us into the word. And it turned up there to Acts 1.8. And here's the answer. They weren't supposed to leave Jerusalem without the promise of the Holy Spirit, without the evidence of speaking in tongues, because he told them, 
that a power and an ability will come upon them when the Holy Spirit comes. And he said, you will be my witnesses in Word of Life and in Manford and and Sepulpa and eventually all over the world. The problem of it is is that we have been, I, or us, I should say, we try to do things under our own strength and not realizing God said, you will never be able to do what I have called you to do without the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. So that's why I say, don't you dare leave Jerusalem because before you go out to accomplish all that God to you, there's something that i got to give you. And the thing that he had to give them was the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same for you. There are some things that God has called you to do that you can't do without the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe God is saying the same thing today as he was saying there. Don't you dare leave Jerusalem without receiving this wonderful gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Because if you're going to parent properly, you need it. If you're going to be a great marriage partner, you're going to need it. If you're going to succeed in business, you're going to need it. If you don't, we do it on our own strength, in our own power, in our own ability. But I don't know about you guys, but my power and ability are limited. But God's power and ability are are limitless. Limitless. So the question would be, do you want a limitless God's power operating in your life, or do you want to use your limited resources for your life? Mm. So we see this take place with Peter and John. We saw that Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit. They were there. They were part of the group that he promises this to them. He says, hey, don't dare leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. This is in Acts 3. And he says, because when it comes, the power is going to come on high. So one day, after the Holy Spirit had came upon them, they were going to the temple. And here's the thing. The Bible says they went to the temple every day at the same time for prayer. And the Bible also says that that man laid there every day. So it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I have a great chance to say that there are many times that Peter and John had passed that same man. If he was there every day, and they went to the temple every day, then how many know they passed him? But how many know something changed? He was begging for alms, or what we would say money. And they walked by him day after day and day after day, day after day. Nobody helped him. But when the day of Pentecost came, everything changed. Now they were in that upper room. The Bible says in Acts 2 that the power of God came. Holy Spirit came. It filled them with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 2. So guess what? Acts chapter 3. 
Philip and Peter are now going to the temple like they normally do. There's the man begging for alms. This time they realize that God promised them in a power and ability. They've already received it, and now they need to act upon it. So they turned around, they looked at this guy, and they said, Hey, bro, I don't have any money, but what I do have, stand up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and walk. And guess what he did? He stood up and he walked. What had changed? The day of Pentecost had changed. They had walked by him before, but they had nothing to give the man before. But now that they had received the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, they said, hey, man, I got something for you. And I believe for us, if we're going to make a difference in people's lives, because how many know life is so much more than these four walls? Why do I say that? I would say there is a great chance right now that everybody in here, under the sound of my voice, with this microphone cracking and popping, I would say that there's a great chance that 95% of you or more are believers or Christians, as we would say. Believers, whatever you want to say. You say, well, why does that matter? Because the power of the Holy Spirit, according to to the word of God, the majority of things that took place, signs and wonders and the apostles doing great things, that Jesus did great things, how many know most of those things didn't take place inside the four walls? They took place outside the four walls. But see what we've done, we said the Holy Spirit is all about us, goosebumps, woo, thank you, oh, uh, spirit fingers, and, and we feel good about ourselves and then we leave and then we don't realize that when we get outside into the world, that the percentages have now changed. Now 95% of the people around us aren't believers or Christians, and they're the one who actually need the power of God. We, we've got it. So we, we flipped it. Well, really, God says, I need you to flip it. I need you to walk in the power and authority that I have, not just on Sunday morning, but I need you to take what you get in here and take it to Judea, to Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is for. It's not just for us. But see, I've been saying, oh, we have to do this and that. But God said, Chad, you're limiting me. You're limiting me. When you don't allow me free access. See, it was the power of God. That changed that man's life. How many of you know there were always crowds of people following Jesus? Wherever he went, there were groups and crowds and crowds of people everywhere. Why? Because he operated under the anointing of God. And wherever he went, signs and wonders followed him. And therefore, people brought other people to different towns to encounter Jesus. I believe if we will allow the Holy Spirit full access to our church services and our lives, people will be bringing people from other towns to Word of Life because I said, I don't know what's going on there, but I heard there was a guy in a wheelchair one time. They willed him in. The elders laid hand on him, and next thing you know, they said he got up and he began to walk and run around the church. I don't know what's going on over there, but that's not weird, but that's powerful, and I need to go check it out. So many times, and I'm not against marketing. We should market it, our church. 
We should post on Facebook, and we should check in because it makes a huge difference. But here's the truth. I'd rather be marked by God than marketed by man. Now, we're going to try that again. I know it's new, but that's good. So we'll try this again. I said, I would rather be marked by God than marketed by man. Thank you, Tony. Would you like a part-time position on staff? (laughs) Nothing wrong with marketing, but how many know when the word gets out, signs and wonders are taking place, and it's not weird, they're going to say, man, what church did you say? Now, where was that, and what time are they meeting? My grandma was just diagnosed with cancer. Well, man, you better get over there because, man, I've been hearing cases of cancer being gone left and right over there. What do I do? My, my, my kids have been addicted to, to alcohol and drugs their whole lives. So they can't be set free. That's because they've been doing it on their own. But I heard the power of God is over there in that service. They'll get in there. I believe they'll be set free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll not have to try to do it on themselves, but the power of God will be so strong during praise and worship that something will just begin to fall off people, and they'll say, man, there is freedom in that place. And that's not weird. That's the way it should be. That should be the new norm in charismatic churches. That's why I say welcome to the new norm. So we go on and we just say, man, what what is it? This is the new norm. So real quickly, I want to show you a couple things, and and I'm going to close so we can get you out of here. And we want to answer the question, bust the myth, if you will, is that the Holy Spirit is not for today. Acts 2.39 says this. Acts 2.39, I'm really jumping ahead, so I apologize, David, uh, For the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far away, including the Gentiles, as many as the Lord God calls to himself. So, if you're not a Jew, what are you? A Gentile. And at one time, the word of God was for the Jews. And then all of a sudden, Jesus came on the scene and change that. And then he said, you know what? This is no longer for the Jews, but this is for everyone. And he said, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. It's for your children. It's for everybody who calls upon the name of the God. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is for every believer. Yeah, Chad, but it doesn't say that they have the evidence of speaking in tongues. Okay. Bible interpretation, the first law of mention. We interpret the Bible from the first time that we see it. What happened the first time the Holy Spirit came upon somebody? The Bible says they began to speak in tongues. That's our, that's our point of reference. We do everything off of that reference. So when Peter, when, talking about, when they say this, he says, for the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children, when he says that, he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. He says this gift is for everybody, Jew, Gentile, children, young, old, it doesn't matter. And this is what Peter prophesied about on the day of Pentecost. He says, this is what the prophet Joel talked about. He says, in the last days, this is for everyone. It's no longer for this small group of people. 
And see, that's the problem with charismatics. We think this gift is for us. But really, God says, this gift is just not for you. This gift is for the world. Why? So we can make a difference in people's lives, just like Peter and John did. Spare fingers. Ooh. I feel got goose. Did you get goosebumps today, honey? Did you? I mean, like, when Darren played that one song, it was like my right side had, like, the hair stood up. And, and uh, you know, we talk about the Holy Spirit like that. Maybe you guys didn't, but when I grew up in churches where we did, and I apologize for that, but we talked about our hair standing up and goosebumps, and yeah, I felt it. And I want you to know something. There's nothing wrong with emotions and goosebumps, but I want you to know something. There's a lost and dying world that needs us to walk this thing out outside of these four walls. And that's really good preaching. You just really say, that's good, Pastor. Preach it. And that's where I say, I am and I will. Thank you. I am and I will. Let's move on to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but if you do some research, approximately about 10 years later from the day of Pentecost. So now we've had the day of Pentecost. Remember, dispensationalism says, hey, this is just for those apostles. This is just for those disciples who was in the upper room. Now, eight years later, we come into a guy by the name of Philip. And some of you who don't know Philip, but there was a time when the apostles, the apostles were, were basically in charge of a feeding program for the New Testament church. And some of the people got together and started griping the Hellenistic Jews. And they got together and, and they were like, hey, you're not feeding my, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And so all of a sudden the apostles, they got up to them and they said, you know what? We probably need to take this away from ourselves. We need to give this to the, notice what they said, some spirit-filled people who are full of faith. That's what it says. Some people who are spirit-filled and full faith. And he said, and let's give them this job to take care of so it can be done right. So us apostles, can, we can step back and we can begin to study and prepare and preach God's word. And so Philip happened to be one of those guys who was put in charge of delegating food out to people. Why am I telling you that? Because see, we've been told that this gift of the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues was only for the apostles. This guy was in charge of the food program. But I want you to know something. The application process for that job was a little bit different than we would have made it. They said, hey, we need some people who are full of faith and a spirit filled before we can have this job. And Philip was like, that's me. And so now we see Philip out and about, a normal guy just like you and I. He's not an apostle. He wasn't a special disciple. No. He was not. He went out and actually he says this. He was preaching God's message to a bunch of Samaritans. And remember, the Bible said it would go out from Jerusalem and it would go to other places. And so now we see the word of God being fulfilled. But now they believe Philip's message. So according to this, they believe Philip's message that Jesus was the Messiah. So would you agree that these people are now are a bunch of believers? Amen. They may have been Samaritans. The Jews hated them. They couldn't be in the same area as them, but now all of a sudden, Philip preached, they received it, and now the Bible says that they received his message. So they're a bunch of believers, concerned the kingdom of God, and notice it says, and many men and women were baptized. A lot of Christians have been taught, this is the ultimate experience for you. You get saved, you hear the message, you receive Jesus Christ, and then 
you get water baptized, and then now you have the Holy Spirit, and now you're good because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. I would agree with that. You have received the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's your new birth experience, and that's what the baptism is about, to show you that this is taking place. But notice, the Bible doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with repentance and water baptism there was another step, and I believe there's another step not only for them, but there's another step for every believer who's not filled with the Holy Spirit. And let's show them what that next step is, David. So, real quickly, you got to realize again, I don't have time to explain all the context of this, but Jews, Samaritan, not good. Church was established after the day of Pentecost. Church leaders have now heard about these Samaritans receiving the word of God. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. This is basically just for us. And now you're saying to me that people down there in Samaria are getting born again? If that's the case, they said, we need to send Peter and John down there, and let's check out what's going on. So the apostles, they sent them down there to Samaria, and they seen that they had truly accepted God's message that it's no longer about works, it's about receiving Christ as the Messiah. When they sent Peter and John down, notice this. The very first thing that Peter and John did was they prayed for those new Christians to receive the Holy Spirit with the baptism of evident of speaking in tongues. Brand new Christians. Right there, it says it. I, I'm, I'm not making this up. This is not my opinion. I mean, oh, this is God's word. These new Christians, and apparently God and the church fathers thought it was so important that they sit down two apostles, and the very first thing that took place is they prayed for him, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Next scripture, David. If you don't believe me, right here. For as yet he had not come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid his hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Amen. What do we teach you? Law of first mention. Acts chapter 2. When somebody receives the Holy Spirit, it's the same way they received it the first time. The Bible says they received it, and the next was they had the evidence of speaking in tongues. Next one. Now, I'll finish up with this. Acts 10. For those of you, I'm trying to break the myth that the Holy Spirit was just for then and, not for the, and only for the apostles and for the disciples. If you do some research, you can tell that Acts 10 took place and approximately this was 20 years after the day of Pentecost. So 20 years later or more, we see now a guy by the name of Cornelius. The Bible tells us that Cornelius is a Roman and that he's a soldier. He's had a vision and he says this. In the vision, God says, hey, I want you to send for a man by the name of, of Peter. He's with Simon the Tanner and he will come. And I want you to notice this last statement that he makes. He says, he will tell you what you must do. So in this vision, God gives him, he says, there's a man called Peter coming, and he's going to tell you what you must do. Next scripture. So he was obedient. He sent for you at once, and it was a good thing for you to come. 
Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. So basically, Cornelius got all these people together and said, hey, I'm telling you guys, get together. God, I had a vision. There's a man coming, and he's going to explain to us everything that we need to know. And so now what we see take place in Acts is around 36 through 43, we see Peter give a phenomenal, and we don't have time to go into it. I encourage you to study on your own. Write it down. 36 through 43, Peter delivers a message to these guys and lets them know, hey, salvation is no longer just for the Jews. It's available for everyone who believes. He said, if you will believe that Christ is the Messiah, you now can be saved along with everybody else. And he delivers this powerful message to them. And I want you to notice what takes place next. He gets up and he says, he is the one of all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone, say everyone. everyone. Who's this gift for? Everyone. Who? Everyone. Who believes. Are you a believer this morning? Amen. If you're a believer, then this gift is for you. Everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to his message. So Peter preaches this message to all these people about how to get saved. They received Christ. They said, okay, Christ is the Messiah. I can now have receiveness for my sins. Notice what takes place next. The Jewish believers that came with Peter were amazed that the gift of God, of the Holy Spirit, how many know it's simply a gift? It's free. It's a gift, right? Notice what they said. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Okay, go back to Acts chapter 2. What did the Bible say? That he will pour out his Spirit upon all people. What happens? They had the ability to speak in tongues, right? We see the same thing taking place over 20 years later. He poured it out on, guess what? Us. Us. And we know because, look at this, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. So as Darren comes on up, here's my thought for you. Apparently, after you're saved, after you're baptized, there's something else that God has for you. What is it? It's not weird. It doesn't have to be goofy. It doesn't have to be scary. It actually is the very opposite. It is a powerful experience that should only change your life, but should change the lives of people around you. And we need this gift to do everything that God has called us to do. So salvation, baptism, and see, that's where a lot of churches stop. You're good. But according to the Word of God, there's something else that God has for us. And it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Everybody stand up this morning. I know it's a lot. And I know...